What a great God we serve. What a wonderful God he is. I love him, folks, I do. Hard for me to read the scripture to you right now and sense the presence of the Lord with us today. Second Timothy chapter 1, beginning our reading with verse 5. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which was first, first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You know that something, something isn't right. You're going through your life and you just sense that something is ominous is happening inside of your body and you're not comfortable. And more and more, you're losing your ability to do things that you used to be able to do with ease. You finally break down and you you call a doctor and you make an appointment. You go in and you see the doctor and it doesn't help. You don't improve. He doesn't find anything. In fact, you're slowly getting worse, and you know it in your heart. More doctor visits and more frustration. No matter what you do, it doesn't seem that you're finding any answers. And there's always this nagging feeling that something is off. Something is not the way it's supposed to be. And you're thinking that life is supposed to be better than this for me at this point. And there has to be something, something going on. And there has to be something more for me. The thing is, nobody else seems to notice anything wrong with you. And the doctors can't find it. You look fine, you're told. Until one day, you happen to run into somebody who you can tell right away is different from everybody else that you know. And this person looks you dead in the eye and directly tells you you're very sick. And in fact, you're dying. And they tell you that there is a disease in the world that not too many people know about, but many have. But they say, listen, I have a miracle cure. I have it for you here. They reach into their pocket and they pull out a single pill. And they said, I promise you, if you take this pill, you will feel different. You will be cured. And it's what you need to do, and it's just that simple. Take one pill, and you'll be better. This one pill will completely cure what ails you. You're taken back because, first of all, you didn't know anybody in the world noticed that you didn't feel well because everybody else was telling you you're fine. But somehow you managed to wrap your mind around it and believe this person, and so you take the pill, and the effect is immediate. You know right away 
that you are no longer sick and that you are cured. And the long ordeal of suffering is over. You're well. They did not know you could ever even feel like you're feeling right this moment. And then the person does something else that you don't expect when he or she hands you a large bottle full of the pills that you have just taken and says this. You're going to notice that there are a whole lot of people who are just as sick as you were. And one of these pills will cure them. The pill that you took cured you. And the ones that you have in your bottle are the same ones. You don't need another one. So just take it to your family, to your friends, your co-workers, anybody. And offer them the cure. Help them get well. But when you're on your way back home, again, you know you're different. You know that you feel well. And you know that you're cured. And the one who helped you was right. You begin to look around and you are now seeing how desperately sick everybody else seems to be. It's pervasive. It's almost everybody. And you can see that this sickness in the world is in existence. And it is what it is. Uh, what is uh, this person purported it to be? There are broken and sick people all around. Your family, your friends, your co-workers, almost everyone. You suddenly see it. You're able to tell. They're going to die. They're going to suffer. And here you are with a huge bottle full of the cure. I can help them, you think to yourself. And you get excited about it. But then another thought comes into your mind. Well, what if I tell somebody that they're very sick and that offends them? What if when I let them know they're not well, they get angry for, at me for saying such a thing? People are going to think I'm weird if I offer them a pill, I think. Um, I don't like being a pushy person. I don't like pushy people. And I'm not going to force it on them. People need to find out for themselves that they're sick. And they need to find out that there's a cure. And I don't think offering people a cure is my spiritual gift. Maybe I better not do it. And so you never give a pill out. You just hang on to the cure. And nobody gets healed. Because you won't even tell them they're sick. You won't tell how you've been made well. You just go through your life as people drop off. And they die. Now, that's quite a scenario. Hang on to it for a moment. This is the concluding week of our series called The Elephant in the Room. And I know many of you will be glad when you walk in next week and don't see the elephant. I have to tell you, though, I've kind of watched you over the last few weeks. And you, most of you have walked in this room in the last few weeks and never even hardly paid attention to the fact that there's an elephant in the room. <laughs> the first week was fun. The first week, you know, I stood here and I watched you walk in and many of you stopped at the door and looked up there and said, what in, what in the world is that? And I saw a few of you say something to one another. But this morning, you just filed in, most of you did, and, and you, you, you barely looked at the elephant in the room. And I'll get to that because that, that's human nature. But this is our last week in this series, The Elephant in the Room, where we are looking at the fact that the Bible often confronts people and makes folks feel uncomfortable. We have said that Jesus, when he was 
teaching often made people squirm and uncomfortable. And, and often the things he said made an elephant appear in the room, if you will. Many times when he spoke, there was an elephant in the room. And I took on a few in the last few weeks. Some things that uh, for Christianity has created issues with people, even within the church. And even with one another. And you'll remember that I've been saying that just because uh, a person comes in the, to, to, to a church service and they sit and they go through the worship service and they're listening to a pastor preach. Doesn't mean that you're all sitting there agreeing 100% with what the pre- preacher has to say, right? That happens. That's a phenomenon. And there's an elephant sometimes in the room. And that's what we've been looking at. My prayer is that uh, the teaching that I have given in the last few weeks has, has been helpful and beneficial, at least to help us understand what the Bible says about certain things. So this week, the elephant in the room is this. The staggering amount of Christians who will not even one time try to talk about Jesus to anybody. There's an elephant in the room about that. The staggering amount of of the percentage of American Christians who ignore a mandate that Jesus gave to us to testify about him. Our Lord is not okay with it. There's an elephant in the room. He commanded us to go into the world. He commanded us to make disciples, to tell people that they are sick and that they are dying and that Jesus is the cure. In given the command he promised That he would be with us as we gave the cure. That his presence would empower us to tell people about him. The elephant in the room is that Jesus sacrificed himself to make a way for anybody to be cured of this sickness that we we all have and were born with called sin. And so many Christians just aren't moved. And they don't ever, ever try. To do anything. To tell people about them. It's an elephant in the room. Have you ever been in a conversation with a a new grandparent? It's really kind of funny. I have. I've had those conversations over the years. And way back, you know, when I was younger. Before the days of cell phones. When you would talk to a new grandparent about their grandkid. Out would come the wallet. Out would come that wallet. And it would have the fold out pictures. And they would fall almost to the floor. Now the, now it's done on the phone. This is little Johnny on the monkey bars. Isn't he cute? Oh, this is little. Look how long he can hang on to the monkey bar. Oh, this is little Johnny when he fell down. He's got to skin his knee. And they'll just go right through all this stuff. You want to find passion in people? You talk, you talk to them about their, their grandchildren. Man, they go nuts. They're showing you all the pictures. They're happy to talk about their grandchildren. And I know that I'm looking into the faces of some of you who are convinced in your heart that your grandchild is the most beautiful child on the face of the earth. And if anybody tries tries to tell you differently, they're in trouble. I know that. If you want to find passion, you, you, you talk to somebody about uh, who are grandparents about their grandchildren, and you're going to see passion. And all of us talk about things and people that we have passion about. It's where we are. And the elephant in the room is how many Christians have zero passion about telling people about Jesus who saved us. And I want to look at that today, and I want us to examine. I want to tell you that it's not comfortable for some of us to know that that is what what the Lord 
has brought to us as a mandate. He gave us a simple mandate. Love God with everything and love people. It's not nearly as complicated as we have make it, made it seem. I recently read an article written by a millennial who was just trying to explain why so many people in that age bracket, in that generation, are leaving the church. And one of the things they said is that they're tired of hearing about vision statements and mission statements and how long we take to make these statements and how much the church loves to talk about what our mission is without ever doing it. And they're just saying, stop talking and start doing it. Don't talk about love people, loving people. Love them. Don't talk about telling people about Jesus. Tell them. And millennials are saying, we want to be part of something like that. That's making a difference in the world. We don't want to just gather together and hang around and talk about, about going out to do it. And never getting it done. And so that is a, a, an issue that, that has come up within the church of Jesus Christ. And it is alarming that so many of God's children simply will not engage the enemy in the battle for lost people. So many entire congregations come together Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And nobody within the church ever tells anybody about Jesus Christ. Some churches are more like a holy huddle or more like clubs and more interested in keeping going what they got going than spreading the gospel. Some churches have more passion about fundraising than bringing people to Jesus. And I will tell you that, folks, the world doesn't need more gathering places for Christians. The world needs Holy Spirit empowered and inspired, motivated people who will go out and fight for the souls of lost people who will engage and will do something about getting people out of the grip of the evil one. Frankly, our excuses for not doing so are as weak and silly as relayed in the scenario that I gave a few minutes ago with a person who would not give out one pill for a cure. May God help us to start dealing with this in our church today. We can't be that church. We can't be those people who one day will stand before the Lord. And I just have to ask, how is Jesus supposed to look at any of us who will not share, who will not engage? How is he supposed to look at us and say, well, done? way to talk about me. And I'm just saying we have such passion to talk about football and other things that we get excited about. And we never, ever, there are people, there are Christians who never, ever try to engage at all. And it's an elephant in the room with the, the Savior that we just spent time worshiping. The, the Savior that we sang, here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down and to say that you're my God. And that's a wonderful and appropriate thing for us to do as a body. But if we never tell anybody else about him, what is he to think of that? That's like telling somebody you love them and having no passion for them. And so our excuses are weak. Now, let's get to the scripture lesson since I've been uh, going so long on this introduction here. Paul was in jail and want to know why? It was a result of his passion to tell people about Jesus Christ that landed him in jail. That's why he was there. Timothy was a gifted evangelist who Paul had met and I've talked to you about him. He, Paul loved Timothy because he was like his child in the faith. 
And that's how he referred to him. And Timothy had a gift, a spiritual gift of, of an evangelist. And he was gifted. An evangelist, and when mentioned in Scripture, was somebody who is very effective of leading people to Jesus Christ and convincing people to come to the Lord. And Timothy was a very highly skilled evangelist. It was natural for him. He had traveled with Paul extensively prior to being assigned to be the pastor of the flock in Ephesus. And these letters that, that, and the, these verses seem to indicate that something had happened to the once bold evangelist, now pastor. He was growing timid and not engaging the enemy as much as he had before for lost people. It seems that the pastor had become too engrossed with church maintenance and keeping the things going in the church. And, and while while doing so, neglected the gift that God had given to him to win people to Christ. So while in chains in prison, while suffering because of his work for the faith, Paul reminds his son in the faith who he was and what gift God had given to him. And he was reminding him that it was time to rekindle the fire to testify for the Lord again and not be ashamed to testify about Jesus. And I'm caught in our text with verses 6 and 7. And it reminds us all, this is for you, this is for me. Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity. Now another translation says a spirit of fear. But a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. And the King James and several other renditions of these verses, the language here is a picture of someone stirring up a fire. If any of you have ever had fireplaces or wood stoves or, or pellet stoves or whatever, sometimes it's necessary to get into those ashes and to stir them up so that the heat begins to, to escape the, 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 um, the embers and the coals. And then the heat will fl- uh, flare up in the flame. And what Paul was saying is, Timothy, you used to be on fire about telling people about Jesus Christ. Stir that up again, Timothy. Don't let your job take away your gift. You're up pastor but more importantly you're an evangelist tell lost people about jesus and my prayer is that somehow god will stoke the fire in our hearts again and that passion will return and that we will become a church where people engage the enemy so that lost people will know Jesus Christ. We're more than a club here. We're more than just a group of believers learning things from the scriptures, which is all admirable and good. But if we do all of that to the neglect of letting people know who Jesus is, we're failing God. That's the elephant in the room. All that it would happen here. Oh, that we would rekindle those flames again, that we would fan them, that we would work and stir it up, and that the Holy Spirit would light fires in our hearts to begin to tell people about Jesus again. Oh, that we would tell people about our healing. When Jesus came and and took our sins away and made us well again, and we would be stirred to engage the enemy in prayer and, and engage the enemy in sharing Christ and contend for broken, messed up people who are all around us. Let me suggest to you how we can rekindle these flames, how we can fan the fire in our hearts. I would suggest, first of all, that we start with just taking a fresh look. We need something. To stir us again. 
We need to see it all again. Something has to move our hearts. Something has to embolden us to move past our fears and our excuses and our apathy and go into enemy territory and attempt to reach out to hurt and broken people who are not ready to face the judgment. I just think we need a fresh look, a new focus in the, of the world that we're living in and what's going on in the lives of people. And I'm asking the Lord God to show us anew just how many people right around us are in absolute jeopardy of the judgment. Jeopardy of going to hell. Would you please take a moment to consider how we feel about the devastation that's left in people's lives because of what sin is doing to them? You have any of those folks in your life? You have any broken, torn up people in your life? You know any personally who are a train wreck and not ready at all for judgment? Got any in your family like that? Do you not see people every day who are absolutely messed up and headed to destruction. I would imagine that almost all of us do see them. Certainly, we all know people who are not ready to die and they're not ready to go to the judgment. How does that sit with you? How does that sit with me? In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talked about two roads and he simply called them the broad road and the narrow road. And he taught that every single person alive is on one of those two roads. There aren't multiple roads. There's a broad and a narrow road. And most, the vast majority of people alive today on this planet are on that broad road. And Jesus makes no bones about it. That road ends in absolute, utter destruction. That's where most people are going. Many people on the broad road are actually deceived into thinking they're great, they're fine, they're safe. If they're good people, they're going to be fine. And there are too many preachers who preach people into heaven that way at funerals. Oh, they were good. And folks, it doesn't have anything to do with us being good. And there are many who think that they are well and that things are going well for them when they are not. So again, I say to you, as you and I think of people that we know personally who are not ready to be judged by God, how does that strike us? In this era of time, America needs a revival. And we need a revival of people who will have passion and compassion and concern for people who don't know Jesus Christ. We can't just let it sit and do nothing. Some time ago, I was in prayer for my family. Family members that I know for a fact uh, from their life that they're not ready to, to go to the judgment. And I believe that as I was praying for these family members that God gave to me a vivid, vivid uh, vision. I don't often claim visions, as you know, but this was one time when I'm certain that the Holy Spirit gave me a vision. I'm praying for these people and suddenly it, it felt like I was gazing through what seemed to be something like a window. And through the window... It appears to me 
that one by one family members that I had just prayed for are standing before the Lord at judgment. And one by one, I hear the words from the throne. Depart from me. I never knew you. And I watch family member after family member being snatched up by an angel and cast into the blackest of of black, screaming. And it was graphic and painful to watch. And I even out loud said to the Lord, I don't want to see any more. And I'll tell you the truth. I think the Lord gave me that vision to help me to remember what is at stake for people in my family who don't know the Lord. Listen, my friends, there are no higher stakes. People's eternal souls are on the line. And shame on me if I'm embarrassed to tell people about Jesus Christ, the greatest one who has ever happened to me. Shame on me if I am intimidated and I'm afraid of offending somebody if I step up to them and say, you need Jesus Christ. You need to rely on him. You're not going to go to heaven if you don't know him. Shame on me if I can't muster enough courage to tell lost people how to find their way home. And I am saying to you that I think we need a fresh look. I think the Lord gave me this vision, frankly, personally, to prompt me to pray. And let me tell you something. I pray with urgency because of this. I pray as if everything is on the line. I don't just say, oh, yeah, Lord, remember so-and-so. I'm often in tears when I pray. Why? Because I don't want my loved ones in hell. I don't want that for anyone, frankly. And so I lift people up to the Lord on a regular basis. And many of us, and I'm not trying to be hurtful, many of us don't even bother to pray for lost people. It's an elephant in the room with the Lord. And I want to remind you something uh, of something. Every day, countless people, countless people get hurt, really hurt as a result of sin in the world. And every second that ticks by as I'm preaching you to you today, every second, two people in this world die. Two people, every single second, slip out into eternity. 155,000 people every single day go into eternity. And that tells me that I have a mandate. And I can't just be okay with that. I can't just ignore that. I can't bury my head and say, as long as I'm okay, I'm, I'm happy with it. I don't want to be that kind of man. I don't want to stand before the Lord and have the Holy Spirit say, how many times, Ken, did I prompt you just to pray? And you wouldn't because you were too busy. You wouldn't even pray. Have we become so desensitized to all the carnage around us that we have forgotten what is at stake? I joked with you a little bit earlier to tell you that the sensitization that happened in our church with the elephant in the room. Many of you walked in today and, eh, it's an elephant. Oh, well. You knew it was here. You were desensitized to it. And I get it. I, I, I was too. I walked in the same way you did. I just had to blow him up again because he runs out of air. You know, all of that. But, 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 but you know, I, it's, it's, 
it's a phenomenon that we do. And Christians, I'm saying to you, I'm not, I'm not scolding. Please hear me. I'm talking to us today. If I point out, I have fingers pointed back to me. I'm just saying as a group, we have grown desensitized by living in the, the, the filth that we live around. In the society that we live in. What it all means is that we need a fresh look and a fresh understanding at what is at stake. People are lost and they're going to go to hell if somebody doesn't tell them about Jesus. That's where it is. So I pray that God gives you a personal, fresh look today. And I I challenge you, pray to the Lord and say, open my eyes, oh God, and let me see the reality that I'm living in. Help me to understand what is at stake. Secondly, I would challenge you to live a holy life. Live a holy life. The verses that we read uh, speak of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace, this grace given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Listen, there are a whole lot of people who do not like church at all and a fair amount of them who don't like any churchgoers in our society. That's just the truth. And many people would cite hypocrisy as a major reason for not wanting to darken the doors of church. Where I see that that is rationale, that is more often an excuse that doesn't hold water, that may be true, I will tell you that hypocrisy does do a lot of harm to the cause of Christ. When we claim to have a level of righteousness and holiness and we go out and we, we, we blow that all apart by just sinning against the Lord glibly and cavalierly, it does harm to the body of Christ. When we claim that we aren't judgmental and then we turn around and judge people, that's harm. When we preach about loving people and we hate and we say hateful things, then that is hypocrisy. And let me tell you, people don't like that. And it is a poor reflection on, on, on the church and on Jesus Christ. Whether we like it or not, people watch us. And our attitudes and our actions do affect them. When somebody lives a truly holy life in this world, I'm telling you, when somebody does that, they stand out like a bright light in the darkest of darkness. When somebody lives for the glory of God, they are noticed. And let me say this to you. Even though there will be people who will feel offended by a holy uh, person inside, they will still have a respect for the fact that they are living what they are preaching. And so God help us as a church not to just preach it, but to live it out. Amen. We are called to live different lives than the rest of the world. And we should stand out and be noticed because of the type of life that we live. We're not supposed to blend in. I hope you understand that. Not in the sense of joining in with sinful activities and condoning sin in the world. We're not supposed to do that. We are supposed to stand out as righteous people. And I promise you, if we do so, people around us will take notice of that. They will say, well, that's the real deal. And that matters to me when we show integrity and honesty and righteousness before the Lord and we live the talk that we're talking. We walk the walk that we we claim that we are living. That makes a big difference. You see, people without Jesus see the genuine holiness in people and they need to see it. They need to see God's people as holy people. And there should be a distinction between us and the rest of the world. 
They need an alive, holy church to reach them with the good news, whether they even know it or not, they need it. Finally, I would suggest that we just start pushing past our fears and our excuses. Many of us who claim to be born again do not ever, 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 not once, do not engage. We don't try. And God's not okay with that. And it's time that we stop. It's time that we stop making excuses and saying, it's not my gift. God understands who you are. God knows what your personality is. There is he will give you opportunity to share the gospel with people and to play a role in that. He will. Most of us are unwilling. And I often wonder what would happen with the church where every believer in that church pushed beyond their own fears and excuses and just started talking to lost people about Jesus and inviting them to come to church services. I'm amazed at how many people won't even invite people. And and all I could I could march them out for you. Tons of statistics that prove that if people are invited to church, they'll come. Many will come. All they're waiting for is a personal invitation. And many of us won't even do that. Actually, I do know what would happen to a church where believers would do that because it's recorded in the book of Acts. You see, in the book of Acts, the early church, everybody was excited. They came together all the time. They had passion about the Lord, and everybody was telling their relatives and their friends and their co-workers and their community, their oikos. They were telling them about people, uh, telling them about Jesus and the church. And every single day in that church in Jerusalem, the early church, every single day, tons of people were coming to Christ and being born again because the people were ministering and everybody was engaged. We have somehow slipped into a model that is not biblical at all. I'll pay the pastor and I'll pay the professional children's worker and I'll pay the musicians and I'll just give money and let them do the work and I'll watch them do it. And we're not called to do that at all. That's not the model of scripture at all. We all have a stake in this and we all have a part in this. And I don't want to alarm you, but Jesus did say something about being ashamed of him on earth and how he would be ashamed of us in the presence of his father. We need to push past our excuses and we need to get engaged. And folks, if we did this together in this town, I promise you it would change this town. I promise you that's true. If we if we purposely go out and minister to lost people with the purpose of bringing people to Christ, I promise you it would eventually change this town if we would stay engaged long enough. This summer we're going to hold an event, an outreach event, and it's we're going right to the center of town where the where the uh, park is, where the bandstand there is, and we're going to uh, together. Uh, welcome people into our community and we are going to purposely try to tell people who need Jesus about him. And I want you to be involved in this event. You're going to hear things about it. I want you to help us spread the gospel to our city. And we can do this if we do it together. And we can bring people to Jesus Christ if we care about it. And I want us to care. I want us to do this as a church together. And you'll hear a lot more about it. I know a young man, now he's a young man, he was a little boy, 
And by the first, by the, 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 the time that he took his first bus ride to go to kindergarten, he had become a follower of Jesus. He got saved at about age four. And I think it was within the first two or three weeks of riding the bus um, to or from school that he got involved in a conversation with one of his uh, fellow bus riders, another little boy. And this young man was talking to him about his soul. He asked the fellow bus rider where he went to church, and the little boy informed him, well, my family and I don't go to church. And the little boy looked at him and said, oh, that's, that's a shame because that means you can't go to heaven if you don't know Jesus. And the little boy said, who's Jesus? And this, this other boy was able on the bus ride home to explain enough to where the, the child said, I, I want to know him. And he says, well, I can help you do that. All you have to do is pray. And he led that little boy to pray and receive Christ on the bus ride, either home or to school. And he came home and, and it was kind of funny, you know, when, when his parents asked him, um, you know, what did you do today? Very matter of factly, he says, oh, I told somebody about Jesus and he became a Christian. Parents were intrigued about that. And so that five-year-old little boy that fall was able to talk to more of his classmates and bus riders. And in the course of that fall, led two or three more children to Christ by just telling them about his relationship with the Lord. I was a youth pastor at the time. And I remember thinking to myself, huh, wonder how many people I've won to the Lord this fall. This little boy who had very little knowledge and very little experience just simply told his story. And he brought four or five kids to the Lord. How many did I lead to the Lord this fall? And I have to tell you, my number was less than his. And I said, oh, God, don't let me do this again. Don't let me have a five-year-old outperform me. <laughs> I'm a trained minister, Lord. This is what I'm supposed to do. God, help me to not, to not become complacent about this mandate that we have. The Holy Spirit really helped me understand that there are people that I encounter every single day that I have an opportunity to just tell them about Jesus. And many of us have an elephant in the room because we've just been afraid to tell them. We've been afraid to mention him. We've been afraid to let somebody know there's a cure for you. There's a cure. I want to say to you very quickly, who, there may be somebody in this room, and as I was preaching, you relate it best in the whole sermon to the one who is a train wreck. You know you're not right with God. And if the judgment were to happen in two minutes, that would terrify you. Because you're not ready. I want you to know there's a cure. I want you to know that Jesus Christ loves you. And that he will forgive you. And that he will bring you into his family. And you would never have to be afraid. You would never have to fear death. Because you will have peace between you and a God who loves you. And I want you to know that if you will trust in Jesus Christ to forgive you, 
to take your sins away. He will deliver you. He will take your sins away. And you'll be right and ready to meet with your God. But there are a lot of us in this room. That's not the issue. We've been cured. We're saved. We know Jesus. And first of all, thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Somebody told me about him. Very quickly, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask for many, if not all of us, to commit to do two things. First of all, I don't know one person who was saved today who didn't first have somebody praying for them. And I, can, you, can we do that, church? Can we begin to call on God for people we, we know need Jesus? Can we do that? I think we can. Can we commit and say, I will pray for lost people in my life. I will ask God to bring them to righteousness. I will pray for them. That's how I came to know the Lord. Somebody was praying for me. But secondly, I'm asking you to push past your fears and commit that somehow, some way, God helping you, you're going to begin to nudge somebody who is away from God a little closer to a relationship. I'm not saying you're a preacher. And I'm not saying you can stand there with a Bible and flip through it and show them the plan of salvation. But can you tell them ever about your life? Can you write a letter and say, listen, I just want you to know this is what happened to me. And God changed my life and I love him. Jesus Christ is my savior. Can we stand up, church, and engage the enemy and say, you know what, devil? You're not going to have free reign anymore. We're done with this. We're done with you just wrecking people and us standing by. I'm going to pray against you and I'm going to talk. And I'm going to tell people that Jesus will set them free. You're not going to just have free access anymore. I pray that somebody here catches fire. And that we as a church will say, you know what? We're not, we're not good with people all around us going to hell and, and not doing anything. We're engaging. We'll go to battle. We'll fight because souls are worth it to us. And I'm praying that you'll make those two commitments today. And this is between you and God. I have no paper for you to fill out. I have no promise for you to make to me because that, that, that's not going to be effective. I'm, I'm asking you to promise Jesus. I'm asking you to pray to him and say, Jesus, you help me. You remind me I'll be somebody who will pray for lost people. And you help me, and I'll nudge people toward you. I'll find a way to communicate the love of Jesus to somebody else. We can do this. You're smart enough. You're saved enough. You're righteous people. All you have to do is care.